Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group. Group, member FDIC and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the OK Computer podcast takeover of the On the Tape feed. OK Computer is the latest offering for risk reversal media. We're going to cover all things tech, public and private markets, the intersection of Web 2 and Web 3. We have this amazing group of co-hosts and contributors. This is going to be in the On the Tape feed for a short period of time. So please follow OK Computer in your podcast stores so you get new episodes every Wednesday on your phone. Thanks. All right, here we are. It's the second episode of OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan. I am joined by Packy McCormick of Not Boring and my main man, Jared Dicker of The Churnin Group. We're going to get into it, guys. We are going to talk how tech ate all of the financial markets in 2021. That's including the stock market, capital markets, finance, and crypto. Web3 really did dominate a lot of the goings-on as it relates to financial markets, at least where we all sit. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing good. I think we're all getting over COVID. So bear with us. If we say anything dumb, it's the COVID's fault. If we say smart things, we are recovered. All right, Jared. Wait, so there's got to be a Web 2, Web 3 tweet about this because you and I and Packy, we're all in COVID protocol. We're coming out of it. I think we did okay on this thing. There wasn't a snarky tweet or anything like that about COVID. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we just got to the point where everyone got it. And I think we're all encouraging our ability to get through it and go back to life. So I think everyone just wants to ignore it and move on. Well, I'm glad we're all feeling a lot better here. Listen, I know you guys are all experienced podcasters, but let me give you a little podcasting hack. I always go to Twitter prior to any guest or co-host going on there, because if you have a good co-host or you have a good guest coming on, there's going to be gold on Twitter just to kind of break the mood a little bit. So I got to go to this one from Packy. Packy, this is your last tweet. Okay. So it kind of bubbled up to the top as you will. And I freaking love this one. So you're wishing your sister at M-U-H-Z-L-E. Okay. I don't even know how you pronounce that. You're wishing her a happy birthday tweet. You basically are quoting her. She's asking you, do you ever worry sometimes that you are Kendall Roy? I fucking love that. And do you ever wonder if you are? I hadn't until she brought it up. And now that she does, I'm a 34-year-old. You can't see my background right now, but I have robot background in the background. I spent all of my days writing and talking about crypto and NFTs and pictures of monkeys. Am I trying to be cool and be bigger than I am? Probably. I love it. No, that's not it. Because really, listen, you were a paranoid Android. We get it. Okay. At the end of the day here, you know, I keep reading about this imposter syndrome. A lot of investors and founders and stuff talk about that. Jared, is that something that ever like, I look at you and you and I met this year, we immediately had a mind meld here. I don't think you suffer from that. You showed up at this steakhouse dinner. I think Packy, you were there and we were all just getting into it. You show up in a t-shirt, you're all tatted out. You were owning every bit of it. I actually enjoy a room. I am one of those weird people, or not weird, but I guess it's just a weird skill that quadruple down on, which is I love being in situations where there's nothing to talk about and I could just command the room. And I did walk into a situation at your steak dinner where I felt like a lot of people had a lot of things to say, but hopefully I was able to hold my own. 
Yeah, you did. I went to your Twitter, obviously, and here's a tweet from yesterday. This is you actually in the sweatshirt that you're wearing right now. The listener can't see it. Dude, this is amazing. This tweet is full ice drip Jerry. So you are wearing this fully tracksuit thing that looks like this weirdo tie-dye and you got Jerry, you got an animated Jerry Garcia on there. What the hell is going on? Who did that for you? I love it. Okay. And I love that you're just rocking it. You're owning it. What's going on right here? Yeah. So during COVID, I've adopted this at-home work uniform of complete tie-dye matching hoodies and sweatpants. And for the most part, I wear this company Camp High, which is really overpriced tie-dye athleisure, or I'd say at-home leisure wear. This one, I have to get the name. I'll share. It's beautiful. Tweet it out. I'll share it with everyone who's listening afterwards. My wife found the dude on Instagram and he basically puts like Jerry Garcia or Prince or really awesome kind of musicians emblems on top of this tie-dye. I think your COVID protocol has more to do with elastic waistband than really cool uh, Jerry stuff, but, <laughs> but, sure. but whatever. All right. All right. Listen, gents, let's get into it here because let's start with the stock market. We said that tech ate all of the financial markets and it really did this year. It's pretty astounding when you think about it. Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet, which is Google, they each gained over a trillion dollars in market cap in 2021. It's pretty astounding. And then when you look at a stock like Tesla got to a trillion dollars in market cap, that stock at the lows in the pandemic was... Was like $65 billion market cap. NVIDIA, nearing an $800 billion market cap, will be a trillion, I suspect, in the not-so-distant future. But here's the question I have for you. What the fuck happened to Amazon? Those stocks that I just mentioned are all up 30, 40, 50. NVIDIA is up 130%, all right, on the year. Amazon is up 5%. It's stuck at like a $1.7 trillion market cap. When you think about all of the innovation that they have had, not just in e-commerce, but obviously web services and all the other things that they are just plowing back. One of the reasons they don't pay taxes, Senator Warren, is they're plowing back a lot of those profits into R&D and that sort of thing. But why is this stock being left behind? Any thoughts on that? The only thing I'd say out of the obvious with tech stocks all ramping up is that I, I feel like having someone at the head and a big figure is very key. And, you know, the king stepped down this year and spent a lot more time in the weight room and flying, <laughs> flying uh, space shuttles and buying boats. And whether or not that's a direct result, I'd say that that is a strong signal in market when, you know, one of the greatest uh, technologists of all time that's driven most of the innovations over the past two decades decides to step down. I think that has a hit on the market. He looks awesome, <laughs> right? I mean, oh, yeah. if I look like him when I'm worth $200 billion and I'm 60 something years old, I'm going to be very, very happy. That's a big one, right? In the middle of the year, I think they were kind of on pace with everybody else kind of over the summer that they, they hit their all time high and have dipped, I guess, kind of on him leaving. It's the other thing. Maybe Tesla has a little bit in common, but that Amazon has that others that they have this huge e-commerce business appended to their beautiful cloud business that they actually have to deal with atoms and deliver packages and low margins and lose money and all of that kind of crap. So I think it's probably a combination of this e-commerce business, which rocketed over 2020 during the pandemic, plus the fact that one of the best business leaders of all time is no longer at the helm with all, all due respect to Andy Jassy. Yeah, well, no, it is worth noting. I mean, Jazzy took over on July 1st, and this is the first time that company has had a different CEO since it was founded over 25 years ago. I'll just say this. If you go back and look at some of those names that we just mentioned, Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet, they all had major transitions to new CEOs in the last 10 years. These are longtime internal candidates that kind of took over after a founder. And what did we just say about all of those companies? I suspect 2022 is the year that Amazon massively outperforms those other ones. And maybe that's 
that's not such a difficult thing to say. I also suspect that Andrew Jassy is going to put his stamp on this company. And when you think about that great business package you just mentioned of AWS, he's shepherded that whole business over the last you know 10 plus years or 15 plus years or so. So that one's pretty interesting to me. I'm going to interrupt you there. If you look at the other three, I would say probably Apple worse off with Tim Cook than if Steve Jobs were still in charge. Yeah. Alphabet, probably a push. And Microsoft is in such better shape with Satya Nadella at the helm. So it can go any one of good, neutral, or bad. TBD on the Amazon side. Yeah, I would say this. Your point about Apple, though, I mean, the company has really iterated over the last 10 years. They haven't had any major new introductions. When you think about the size of the AirPods market, that is a huge business at 50 billion plus or something like that. But that was all in the roadmap. If you think about that, if you think about Microsoft, they really, other than some stuff in gaming, there really hasn't been much other than changing their model to the recurring revenue model, as far as I'm concerned. And then the Alphabet, they have seven or eight properties that have over a billion monthly active users. They're just dominating where they are. Yeah. And don't sleep on the small giant of the internet, which is advertising as much as people want to shit on it and argue against it. That's the workhorse, the success of most of these businesses. And we're going to see a 30% increase in digital ad spend after a year where we've seen the most of all time. And Amazon has been the quiet Trojan horse that's kind of getting in there. And you could really see them start to open up the amount of data collection, their power with AWS thinking about third party, you know, you see how Facebook and Google have dominated. There's no doubt that Amazon could roll right up there in that one small part of their business. Yeah, but that was a huge part of the story. I think in 2020, when you looked at their ad revenue, it was growing faster than Snap or Twitter, and it was growing larger than the two of them combined. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's pivot to Twitter a little bit, because since Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, stepped down as the CEO on November 29th, the stock has not done particularly well. It's down 20% of the year. It's down 45% from its highs. It's definitely down from... The stock rallied immediately when Jack took over in the pre-market. I don't know if you remember that. It was up 10%. I think a lot of shareholders we're pretty excited about that. And then it ended up closing down in the day and it's probably down another, I don't know, 7 8% since then. And then Square or Block, as it's since been renamed, is down 22% in the last month. It's lost over $15 billion in market cap. I mean, Packy, that is a Shibu Inu that it's lost there. <laughs> what is going on here? Because the way I see this and the way I was thinking about it is that the public market investors in Jack's company are basically saying, never go full Bitcoin Maxi here. So g- g- give, it, give it to me because he had like a tirade on Twitter over the last week. It's a lot to unpack here. I mean, yeah, it is funny that the company that he was leaving shot up because he was leaving. The company that he's now spending full-time on is down 20 or something percent since he's gone full-time over there. I've defended Jack in the past. Obviously, you know the fact that he's running Twitter, which is a product that I, I think the three of us are fully addicted to, and then Square, which has been a comeback story for the ages. Obviously, a phenomenal CEO or a phenomenal something. He's like good at product or building a team around him or, or something like that. The full Bitcoin maxi thing to me and, and his whole tirade for people who haven't been glued to their Twitter over the holidays, so for all you healthy people out there, essentially what's happened is that Jack Dorsey you know, is into crypto, but is particularly and exclusively into Bitcoin. And he has gone on kind of in a tag team with Elon Musk, this tirade against Web3 and what they're calling you know, something that's reminiscent of 2017, 2018, all of the shit coins, which is 
Ethereum, which is what most of Web3 is built on, which is Solana, which is all the stuff that we've talked about over the course of the past year. All of that's being built in, quote unquote, Web3. And Jack essentially said, this is all BS. It's all owned by the VCs because the VCs can't invest in Bitcoin, but they certainly can invest in companies and protocols early on. And because of that, you're being sold a bill of goods by these people who are just pumping their own bags and will ultimately dump them on all of you. There is so much revisionist history in that view of things. Solana is an obvious case that people point to where it's largely kind of VC owned. I wrote about Solana and talked to a bunch of the people who both invested in and passed on Solana back in 2018. And it was like the least consensus bet in the whole world. Like the fact that, you know, it's being now billed as a bunch of insiders, like getting access to this thing that nobody else had access to is complete bullshit. Nobody wanted to touch that thing. There were 10 different L1s coming out at the same time with kind of more out of central casting teams. And a couple of people made big bets. You know, Multicoin was one of them, Race Capital was another. There were a couple of funds that just made big bets on that protocol at the time and now own a bunch of it because that is what venture is all about. So I don't know. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. I think Jack is trying to, I guess to his credit, if you want to look at it the charitable way, if you want to get crypto into the hands of as many people as possible, you need as simple of a message as possible. And so I can understand the Bitcoin maximalism in just like, I want to give you one thing that you need to think about and it's Bitcoin and it's sound money and there's only going to be 21 million of them ever. And that is the whole message and anything else that anybody else says distracts from that. So I'm going to go all in on Bitcoin. I think to then go after the rest of Web3 though is absolutely ludicrous and hopefully you know he'll he'll get his comeuppance continuously over the next few months although people loved watching it on twitter yeah and it's been absolutely amazing to watch jack dorsey go from twitter ceo to full-on twitter user and just spend his time ship posting and going back and forth um but i completely agree with packy i mean i think a lot of this has to do with putting out a message in market. I think the whole presumption that Web3 is a VC game is totally misunderstood. Like I was a blockchain founder back in 2017, 2018. It was nearly impossible to raise VC funding back then and to get any interest there. And the ones that did were very well rewarded, but people forget like what that winter looked like and how much hard work and deep trudging had to happen in order for a lot of companies to come out. I'd say that if anything, there's a much lower barrier to entry to have more people involved. I mean, Packy and I talk about this often, and we are very large proponents of Web3 and the opportunity that it has for individual users and people to unlock things they wouldn't have prior. But I find that argument to be pretty stale. If anything, I think it's very funny to basically watch online, especially someone at his stature going back and forth. I think it's hard not to get involved in those arguments, but I think it's very smart not to get involved in those arguments, at least publicly. One of the funny things, too, I think, is if you look at Twitter's share price and its history. Had Twitter been a coin, most of the gains in Twitter were made by the private market investors and the VCs. Once regular people got access to Twitter, it's essentially just been this wobbly but ultimately flat line for the past eight years. If you wanted to make any money on Twitter, you needed to be a VC and get in before the company went public. I mean, if nothing else, the beautiful thing about Web3 and kind of like just the direct analogy comparison here is that that IPO gets pushed up much, 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 much earlier. So that there's a bunch of upside left that that means that you need to filter the signal from the noise and all of that a little bit more than you might with the equity markets. But I think that's where VCs can also help play a role is if something is backed by someone like Jared, then the retail buyer who's coming in much, much, much earlier than they would if it were a traditional equity gets to see that signal and then invest earlier than, than they otherwise would. 
I think that's a great point. If this decentralized financial world didn't exist, all that innovation, all that investment would be in these centralized platforms and it would be owned by the... I mean, that's just the way it's happened for the last 50 years or so. And then when you talk about bag holders, look at what's going on in the stock market right now. Look at all these companies that have come public over the last few years, unprofitable tech companies are getting absolutely destroyed. And you could go to CoinMarketCap and you could look at the top 25 names there that all have bigger market caps than most of the IPOs tech IPOs over the last few years or all these companies that came public through these SPACs or something like that. So to me, I don't see it either. And it seems like he's having a little bit of a hissy fit on his old platform. And maybe it's not a good look. Here's one I want to throw out to you guys. I think I already know the answer, but I'm really interested in the answer and how you guys come at it. So on Fast Money that we do on CNBC, we have this little game that we play, Would You Rather? It's usually one stock versus the other, but I wanted to do this one. And I didn't preview this one with you guys because I actually thought you guys were going to just do a collective eye roll to me. But I want to do Meta. Facebook, okay, it's got a $950 billion market cap with nearly 3 billion monthly active users. Now you have Bitcoin, and we're going to talk more about crypto in a little bit. But now you have Bitcoin with about 100 million Bitcoin owners globally. Is that about correct, guys? And about 200 million Bitcoin wallets globally. And I think you guys would both agree that's like Facebook circa 2013 or 12 or something like that, if that makes sense. Okay, so my question to you, Jared, I'm going to start with you. Would you rather for 2022? Facebook at about 900 billion market cap, given what we know about their user base, what you just said about online advertising, or Bitcoin, which is up about 80 so percent on the year, down 30% from its recent highs. I'm just saying, if you had a dollar to put to work, are you meta or are you Bitcoin for 2022? I'm 100% Bitcoin, but I'm probably 100% Bitcoin across a lot of more public stocks because I'm 99% in crypto. But I believe that Bitcoin's still in its early days. I think as kind of more adoption and interest starts being built in this space. I think there's a lot more development, even though we see a lot more kind of developer attention on Ethereum, Solana, Flow, etc., the other L1s. I think there is a lot of emphasis on Bitcoin, especially around security, around the ability to start to think about how to transact. I think Bitcoin has a lot to unlock. In the next few years, there's a heavy argument that Bitcoin is the store of value. It is the currency. It's gold. Often, I ask myself this question, then why am I transacting 5, 10, 15 times a day using Ethereum and never using Bitcoin? So I think there's going to be a lot of attention there, a lot more work being put into that. But I think Bitcoin's in its early stages. I am definitely bullish on Meta. I'm not anti-Meta by any means. I own two Oculus Quest 2s, and I like am fighting zombies nightly in The Walking Dead. Uh, so I'm absolutely obsessed with it. But as an investor, and as someone that's really excited about a future that's not yet paved, my money's on Bitcoin. I think I agree. My one counter would be that there are 21 million possible Bitcoins and there's only one meta and will ever only be one meta. So could be worth 21 million times as much as Bitcoin if it becomes kind of the store of value for Web2. All right, fair enough. I would love to buy a basket of your L1s, if you will. When I think about it, I sit there on Fast Money and I'm like on my Bloomberg or my fact set machine and I'm sitting there listening to other people talk and you guys have been on the show and I'm thinking about it. I'm always asked the question, would you rather? Would you rather? That's why I kind of wanted to play it right here. And you know what I often think in my head? You know what I'd rather? This is after reading Packy's Own the Internet in May on Not Boring or read Solana Summer or read the stuff that Jared does on his Mirror account. The Dark Star Dow, is that what we're calling this? Your Mirror account, Jared? Yeah. Every time I read... Read you guys talk about this stuff. I actually want to put 
more money into those protocols, those tokens, and I want to take it out of the stock market. But that's the problem right now for a lot of everyday investors who are not nearly as sophisticated as you guys are. It's really hard to express those views. And I'm hoping that 2022 is the year where the average investor has easier on-ramps to this. They can read your Twitter. They can read your blog post. They can listen to OK Computer. And they say, I like those guys. I trust those guys. I want to do what they're doing. And hopefully that's something that happens next year. Because right now, it's still kind of hard. I know a fraction of about this stuff that you guys do. I'm explaining to people and I'm just saying, just open a Coinbase account and buy a little and start reading the stuff on it and the explainers and start reading Darkstar and follow Jer and follow Packy and that sort of thing. That's what I'm doing to people. So, all right, listen, when we come back, guys, we're going to get into the year that was crypto and think about some things that you guys are excited about for 2022. We'll be right back. Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. It's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to current.com slash OK. That's current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. All right, we're back. We just talked a little bit about the bifurcation in the public markets as it relates to tax, kind of like the haves and the have-nots. It's the big got bigger and they literally ate the stock market. While a lot of the names in products and services that we all love during the pandemic that saw their business models accelerated, the uses accelerated, they've just absolutely gotten destroyed. As we head into year-end 2021, we're taping this on Tuesday right now. Uh, we're seeing Bitcoin below 49,000. We're seeing Ethereum below 3,900. Bitcoin's down about 30 percent from its recent all-time highs. Ethereum outperforming a little bit, down about 20%. We're seeing a little bifurcation here, right? Some of the altcoins that had tremendous outperformance are getting hit a bit harder here. Jared, I'll just start with you. Let's talk about some of these biggest themes in 2021. What surprised you a little bit? And then I'd love, after hearing from Packy a little bit, just kind of get into some of the things that you're really focused on, excited about in 2022. In 2021, the most obvious one was the emergence of NFTs and this kind of new way to invest and create value basically on the like on the onset and bring and bring in community and ideas and effectively push forward to develop something brand new. I think that's one of the most amazing things about Web3 that I get so psyched about is that you no longer have to go through traditional means from idea to execution. You could come up with something with a few people, other people believe in it, and then it's somewhat off to the races. I think if you want to compare to like the tech markets and what we're seeing with the main layer ones and Ethereum, Solana, other sorts of investments like Bitcoin, I think you have to look at it very differently. I mean, I think there's, I don't want to say value created out of thin air in crypto, but very much so it often is. And I think it's less as things are being created and we don't know where they're coming from. And it's more serendipitous ideas coming to the surface and then a ton of excitement going behind them. So whether you're seeing things like Klimadao or what you saw with Olympus or what we just saw with the airdrop of SOS with existing OpenSea users, I think people are rethinking new ways to kind of provide value and get 
communities deeply interested, both financially and socially, in new ideas. And we're going to continue to see invention and evolution alongside of that. What I'm most excited about in Web3, which I think needs to start to come to fruition, is how do people stay engaged? What does retention look like? We haven't really seen markets survive a long time in crypto. I mean, we've seen Bitcoin for a decade plus. We've seen Ethereum. We've seen Solana really start to emerge and grow. But this whole notion of how we program for existing audiences, how we keep communities excited, and how they continue to thrive is pretty undefined in the blockchain crypto space. And it's particularly interesting because for many of these projects, there's no real leader, especially in the DAO infrastructure. You have a lot of people coming together, assuming responsibilities based on what they own and how they contribute. But the amount of energy and work that needs to go into that in order to keep these things longstanding is pretty unknown and undefined. So I'm very interested to see how people think of the existence of these companies, the sustainability of these companies, and the creativity that goes into what that really looks like in this new space. It's interesting, Jared, you're calling them companies. Packy, you and I were recently talking about this. I think you make a great point. It's like understanding the longevity of a lot of these projects as it relates into NFTs. You know, Packy, I know you spend a lot of time, and we've already talked a little bit about your experience with the Constitution DAO, how that came about, and just the, the organization of this disparate group of people. And think about it for the average non-crypto people. And I know the postmortem on that was that look at how many people that project onboarded into the crypto space. They had to get a wallet. They had to understand the mechanisms of how a DAO works and how to delegate their voting rights and all that sort of stuff. I thought that was fascinating. But here's the question I have for you before we get to like your biggest surprise of the year is that it's kind of complicated, man. You got to get into Discord and you got to follow the right people on Twitter and the right people on Twitter are anonymous and they have these avatar. You don't, you don't know if you're really dealing with people or bots or what the hell it is. And they're all asking you to send ETH to some account. It might be a scam. So talk to us about that because I know that there's been plenty of scans uncovered, but also the ability to kind of interact and become parts of these groups. And what is the life cycle of these things? I think it really depends. So for the Constitution now in particular, it was a one one time thing. There was a particular goal. It was buying a document. We failed at the document. People still made a lot of money, which was great because those kind of magical weird things can happen in crypto. But I do think to me, that's one of the bigger questions is when is a DAO structure right? Is there somewhere between fully decentralized and fully centralized that makes sense for a certain project? The way that I see a lot of this going and the way that I see a lot of the past year is that even though so much money and attention and everything came into the space, I really think we're just kind of playing and testing with new models and new ideas still. And that when you look back, even in two years, we're going to be like, that was really cute that you buy, you, you tried to buy the constitution, or that was really cute that like profile picture NFTs were such a huge thing. They were really helpful because now they enabled X thing that has now helped cure cancer or done X, Y, or Z other thing. I really think that the past year was almost kind of all of the dollar values were big, fairly low stakes trial runs on some mechanisms that are going to help us do wild things. So I've been talking even just today to a couple of entrepreneurs trying things, one particularly in multi-DAO structure that could be like absolutely revolutionary and incredible for the human race in an off-chain, like offline, real-world meat space way. And that's partially inspired by Constitution DAO, partially inspired by a bunch of the other experiments that people have done. So I guess I'm skipping the question here, but I think a lot of the scams and all of that was just part of some of this play period that we've had over the past year. And that now entrepreneurs who are coming in with real problems that they've been trying to tackle for a long time are seeing some of the tools that they have at their disposal and bringing them to bear on those problems. And that's what gets me really excited about 2022 and beyond is using 
everything that we've come up with over the past year and putting them towards some of the world's hardest problems to tackle. I think we're massively underestimating the power that individuals have been able to unlock by way of seeing that you can have an idea, want to do something, get like-minded people together and actually do it. And I think that's something that might not have been impossible in the past, but no one's ever seen it done. No one's executed it. No one built off examples of that. And now you're going to have an entire generation really thinking about how they could put dollars to work, how they could put their energy to work, whether it's their job, whether it's something on the side. And at Packy's point, I think that's really going to help push a lot of things forward, people learning off one another. And it's just going to be absolutely amazing looking back what we're able to do there. I have gotten so excited about all of this. I mean, in January 2020, I wasn't talking about or writing about the stuff or investing in this stuff. So after selling Bitcoin in 2013, went away for a while and came back. But I've gotten so excited about it over the past year that I try to check myself now when I'm talking to entrepreneurs who are building things in Web3. And I ask, like, what would it take to do this without a DAO? Or why are you doing this in a DAO structure? And try to hear those answers and how much I think they actually make sense and how much they're just trying to lean into the hype. But I do think in a lot of these cases, like the guys I was talking to this morning, they had five reasons that they're the thing that they're doing, which I think could be transformative, wouldn't have been possible or at least nearly as easy without the Web3 tools. And so I think that's the big, big thing for me. So let me ask you this. Is this an accident waiting to happen, though? If you think about it, remember people love Facebook Live until like people started committing suicide on it and committing mass murders. What if you set up a DAO to do like a terrorist act or something like that? I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of the downside. I know that you guys are very optimistic about all these things. It seems like we haven't. The scams, the scams are going to come. That's a 2022 thing. We're talking about probably tens and tens of millions of dollars in scams and DAOs. Again, I want to be optimistic about all of it. I don't understand most of it. All right, guys, we got to get out of here in two minutes. Packy, I'd love to hear what is the one thing for our listener here who's not you and not Jared and not Meltem? What is the one thing that they should keep their eye on as it relates to the crypto space here a little bit, just as kind of a layman who is trying to get in? My dad just set up his Coinbase account over the holidays and asked what he should get into. And my recommendations were a little Bitcoin, a little ETH, a little Soul, a little Flow, a little Avalanche. Start, I think, with the L1s and really think about them. Like, If you want to dive a level deeper than just buy a basket of L1s, just think about where you see different people building things. And if you see a cool project, maybe try to buy that cool project's tokens, although those are going to be a lot more volatile. But really like, try to spot the trend on like where people are building. And I think that's going to be really good for whichever chains developers are choosing to build on. So Jared, aside from full track suit, icy, juicy, whatever you want to call it, couture with Jerry Garcia. On, juicy. What, what are you, it is juicy. <laughs> what are you focused on, man? What is the one thing the listeners should be following up on? Going into next year, I think there's going to be a lot more realization in Web3, really trying to figure out how it actually exists. I think there's a lot of plan within the community to try to go really deep and reinvent the wheel. And I think there's going to be a lot of levity coming to the space to really see where the opportunities are, where they're not. So I think it's going to be a lot of playing nice. I think one thing that we constantly talk about is how Web3 is going to replace Web2 or Web3 or Web2. And I think it's very much an evolution of both and a combination of both. I think if you ask anyone who's making decisions at Facebook and Twitter what they think about Web3, they're absolutely psyched about it. So when you have companies like that really thinking of the opportunities, I think we're going to see both existing legacy brands, emerging brands, challenger brands, and others really thinking about what this space looks like across a variety of things like creativity, art, music, etc., etc. So I just think we're in the early of seeing what this thing could do and excited to go deeper as we edge into next year. 
Well, listen, guys, it's been my pleasure to get to know both of you in 2021. I consider you guys my crypto Sherpas here. I've learned so much already, and I really appreciate the opportunity just to have these conversations with you. I know the listeners of OK Computer really appreciate it. So listen, I hope you guys have a great new year. We, the three of us, are almost out of COVID protocol, gents. So let's get it going in 2022. So happy new year, guys. Thanks. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.